The scripture tells us that God's word is a lamp unto our feet and a light unto our path. At FCC, we believe that the Bible is the holy word of God after which we pattern our lives. With this in mind, please turn in your Bibles to 1 Chronicles 29:10 through 18. David praised the Lord in the presence of the whole assembly, saying, Praise be to you, Lord, the God of our father Israel, from everlasting to everlasting. Yours, Lord, is the greatness and the power and the glory and the majesty and the splendor, for everything in heaven and earth is yours. Yours, Lord, is the kingdom. You are exalted as head over all. Wealth and honor come from you. You are the ruler of all things. In your hands are strength and power to exalt and give strength to all. Now, our God, we give you thanks and praise your glorious name. But who am I and who are my people that we should be able to give as generously as this? Everything comes from you, and we have given you only what comes from your hand. We are foreigners and strangers in your sight, as were all our ancestors. Our days on earth are like a shadow without hope. Lord our God, all this abundance that we have provided for building you a temple for your holy names comes from your hand, and all of it belongs to you. I know, my God, that you test the heart and are pleased with integrity. All these things I have given willingly and with honest intent. And now I have seen with joy how willingly your people who are here have given to you. Lord, the God of our fathers, Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, keep these desires and thoughts in the hearts of your people forever and keep their hearts loyal to you. Please pray with me. Lord, open our hearts and minds by the power of your Holy Spirit that we may hear your word with joy. Amen. Well, good morning. Welcome to worship. My name is Doug McHenry. I'm the lead pastor here. And whether you're joining us at home online or whether you're in person, I'm just thrilled you're with us today and I hope you're blessed. Um, You know, if you're like me, you're really hoping as we start this new year that 2021 is going to be a much, much better year for uh, just us as individuals, our families, but just for our our nation and our world in, in general. Um, and one of the things we, we often do when we reflect back upon uh, old year and look towards a new year is we, we set resolutions, right? We're not going to get to those right now, but towards the end of the sermon, I'm going to give you two resolutions that I think if you're able to put them into place, it'll make a huge difference in your coming year and just your, your experience of the year and your fulfillment and your meaning and your spiritual growth. You know, one night many years ago, a Christian woman could not sleep. It was the middle of the night, and she kept waking up. She just had no peace. She was filled with anxiety and, and, and worry. Uh, her husband, Colonel Gracie, was crossing the Atlantic Ocean, uh, returning home from England. And she just couldn't push frightening thoughts out of her mind. So she got out of bed, and she began to pray. Right away, about the same time on the ocean, the safest ship that had ever been built, the Titanic, hit an iceberg and began to sink. And panic began to break out because people began to realize that there weren't enough lifeboats available for all the people on board. And Colonel Gracie, this woman's husband, had given up hope of surviving himself, but instead he was helping women and children find places in the existing available lifeboats. His only wish was that he could somehow get a message to his wife. And as the ship began to dip into the water, he said goodbye to her in his heart. Meanwhile, back in America, Mrs. Gracie was still praying. After two hours, she still didn't have any peace, so she continued to pray until about 5 o'clock, and all of a sudden this overwhelming sense of peace just came over her, and she drifted back to sleep. 
Out on the North Atlantic, Colonel Gracie was plunged into the icy water and sucked into a giant whirlpool. And he began to fight to try to swim to the surface. And finally, he, his head popped out of the water. He took a gulp of oxygen and he saw an overturned lifeboat. And along with several others, he climbed on board until they were rescued by another boat at five o'clock in the morning. Of all the prayers that we pray, the most frequent and most fervent prayer, kind of the most elemental, most primeval prayer, is the prayer for protection, right? For the safety and well-being of ourselves. Help me, O oh God, protect my family, protect my loved ones. In fact, it's probably one of the first prayers that we teach our children, that you learn to pray as a child. Now I lay me down to sleep. I pray the Lord my soul to keep. And if I die before I wake, I pray the Lord my soul to take. Kind of a scary you know, thought and prayer when you think about it. But even as kids, we understand that there could, there's a big bad world out there that anything could happen. And as grown-ups, we've become even more aware of how difficult and dangerous life can be. When we go on to a flight, we board a plane. Uh, when our kids leave the house for a long trip. Uh, when something goes bump in the middle of the night, we, we ask God to keep us and the ones we love safe and close to him. Now, the Bible is full of prayers, and many of them are prayers for protection. You look at the Psalms, for example. Keep me from harm, O Lord. Save me from my enemies. Deliver me from evil. We pray that during the Lord's Prayer. For many of us, this can be the main extent of our prayer life. We pray in times of distress when we need help and we need protection. There's nothing wrong with that. It's, it's kind of a basic elemental response to life in general. Philippians 4, 6 says, Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your request to God. And that includes everything, right? We just talk to God about what's going on in our day, and it often means prayer for help or protection. But the prayer life of a believer is to be much, much more than, than that. Prayer for the believer is to be oxygen, which keeps our, our life, our heart, our mind alive and well and functioning and connected to the source of life, to God. And without prayer, we become religious robots. We might do the right thing most of the time, but through our own strength, and we lack the power and the punch that, that God intends for us and wants for us. Jesus Christ spoke about the importance of this, this connection that we are to have with God in John chapter 15. The context is Jesus is, is in the upper room of the disciples. He's about ready to go to the cross in the next day. And, and Jesus is trying to prepare them for the time when they will not see him physically. And he tells them, I'm the vine, you are the branches. If you abide in me, I will be in you and you'll produce much fruit. But apart from me, you can do nothing. Prayer is to be the lifeblood that keeps us connected to the Spirit of Jesus Christ. So how can we do that? Well, I think one way to think of this is, is to think of, of our life posture. A life posture is a metaphor um, that describes a person's way of life through a, a, a physical posture. For example, you think of the guards that march before the palace of the Queen of England. Their backs are ramrod straight. Their eyes are straight ahead. Nothing distracts them from the task at hand, which is a great way to get a lot done in a moment of crisis, but it's hard to have relationships when that's your, your life posture. Some people live life like those goofy bobbleheads. Every bump sends them off kilter. 
They're unstable. They react to the pressure around them. Not really rooted. That's not a good way to go through life. Some people live like life like those people you see in pictures of third world countries where, you know, there's everything's about physical labor and you see a man or woman, maybe even a child carrying a, a huge load of water or food or, or wood or something on their back and they're stooped over. And some people live like that, weighed down by just something in their life. Their eyes are down. They put one foot in front of the other, just trying to make it to the next sunrise. Some people are the opposite of that, like, a, like an NFL running back. They, they, they have their, their knees high, their shoulders low, and they just run over and knock people out of the way to get to where they're going. A football coach, he will go unnamed, about a decade ago was fired because of a life posture he had. When he was fired, he quoted Zapata, who was a 19th century Mexican revolutionary. He said, better to die standing up than live on your knees. And his life posture was dig in your heels, don't knuckle under, don't admit any wrong, don't change your stance when pressured to do so, which can be good advice in some circumstances, like if you're pressured to compromise your faith or to renounce your faith, to do something that you know is wrong. But for many situations, it's a terrible attitude and life posture. The scripture tells us that we are to live life from our knees, not cowering in fear, not caving into pressure, but being people of prayer. Life is to be lived from our knees, from a consistent, constant communication with our creator by being tapped into Jesus divine. What happens when we live life from our knees, from a posture of prayer? God gives us power. God gives us direction. God corrects us. God pours out his love and blesses us. When we pray, we put ourselves in a posture where God can fully work in our lives. The passage that was just read a few minutes ago is in, from 1 Chronicles 29 is a prayer. And there are many prayers in, in the Bible, but I want to focus on this prayer as we start off the new year because I think it's really at the heart of, of, of what's important for us if we want to grow in our relationship with Christ. And it's a prayer of worship, and it's a prayer of adoration, and it's a prayer that gives us perspective. Verse 10 again. David praised the Lord in the presence of the whole assembly, saying, Praise be to you, O Lord, God of our father Israel, from everlasting to everlasting. Yours, O Lord, is the greatness and the power and the glory and the majesty and the splendor for everything in heaven and earth is yours. Yours, O Lord, is the kingdom. You are exalted as head over all. Wealth and honor come from you. You are the ruler of all things. In your hands are strength and power to exalt and give strength to all. Now, our God, we give you thanks and praise your glorious name. Now, the context here of David's sermon is there's this incredible, big, great offering that's just been taken up from the people of Israel. And the purpose of the offering was to build a great temple for God. Because up to this point in the life of the people of Israel... There was no central building, no central point, focusing point for the people of God. Uh, The Ark of the Covenant represented God's presence and would be moved from place to place. But now God has given David the okay, the go-ahead, to begin plans for a temple, a place where the worship of God would be centered, where people would be taught, where sacrifices would be made, and where God would be honored. 
And so after this great response from the Israelites, David begins with a prayer of consecration, of worship, of thanksgiving. Now, it's interesting that David, this king, this powerful military leader, this manly man, this guy who was the leader of the people, he worships God publicly in front of all the people. He's not ashamed to be enthusiastic. He's not ashamed to be expressive. He's not lukewarm. He's not passive. He's, he's not a, a spectator. He's an active participant leading God's people in, in, in heartfelt, active worship. And we know from the Psalms that David's ability to do this was something he had practiced in his private life. I mean, many of his Psalms were written um, to be sung to God, and David no doubt would have done this privately before he led people in worship publicly. He wrote things like, O oh Lord my God, you are both you are very great, you are clothed with splendor and majesty, or praise the Lord, O oh my soul. All my inmost being, praise his holy name, praise the Lord, O oh my soul, and forget not all his benefits. You know, I think one of the reasons that maybe so many of us at times worship services just don't seem to feed us, they fall flat, is maybe that's the only time that we're worshiping. It's like showing up for a game without practicing. You can pull it off sometimes. Hey, you might have a good game. You might have a good experience. But, but not consistently. Over the long haul, it doesn't work to, to excel in anything without practice. You see, God has made us for worship. We are designed to worship him individually, and we're designed to worship him corporately. And I believe there's a direct correlation between how much a person worships God during the week and how much they get out of a service on a Sunday. So how do we do that? Well, it begins with prayer. It begins with that connection with God, with Christ. He is the vine and we are the branches. And you might say, well, I'm not very good at praying. Prayer for is awkward to me. It, I, I'm just not good at it. I don't know what to say. I feel kind of fake or phony. I, I, I just don't know how to do it. And, but prayer is simply talking with God, asking him for help, asking him questions. You can complain sometimes, ask him for guidance, thank him. You might say, well, I don't know how to, to, to worship. I'm not a singer. I'm not a real expressive person. You don't have to be. Just be real with God. Listen to praise music. Sing along. Listen to a podcast when you walk the dog. Think about God or scripture when you're out walking. Just have a constant conversation with God. I mean, have you ever thought about praying about your worship experience? Asking God to teach you how to worship as an individual? Uh, praying for the worship of our church? Asking God to use our worship to unify us? To speak to all who hear, whether they're close to God or far from God? To ask that God would be worshipped in a way that would honor him and bring glory to his name? David did. David prayed that his people's worship would be wholehearted. Look at verse 17. I know, my God, that you test the heart and are pleased with integrity, and all these things I have given willingly and with honest intent. 
And now I've seen with joy how willingly your people who are here have given to you. David, David acknowledges that God wants us to be people of integrity. What, is, what does integrity have to do with worship? Integrity means that we are people whose lives are whole. They're not perfect. We're, we're not the, the best saint in the world. But it means we're, we're whole. We're integrated. We're consistent. We say we love God. And our actions show that we do. We say that we love God. When God looks at our hearts, he sees that we do. Not perfection, but he sees that our hearts are sincere, that they're wholehearted, that they're integrated. That's what it means to be wholehearted. Where God is concerned, our hearts are to be whole, not divided. And and David here in the prayer, he looks at his people and he sees that this time their hearts are whole. Not perfect, not everything's wonderful, but he's not presumptuous that they will always be whole or integrated. He knows all too well personally how temptation can cause a person's heart to be divided, and so he prays for his people. You know, this church was founded 143 years ago this spring, and over that time, thousands of people have come to faith in Christ. That's what these white roses celebrate. Thousands of people have been discipled and have used their gifts and have served. Countless resources have been given for missions and service and evangelism and discipleship. I'm very honored and blessed to be a part of this wonderful church family. But we can never be presumptuous regarding God's blessing. And we can never, we can never coast on our laurels because the stakes are too high. And the way to ensure that we don't is, is to get back to the heart of things, to that connection with God through, through prayer and through, through worship. Verse 18. O Lord God of our fathers, Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, keep this desire in the hearts of your people forever and keep their hearts loyal to you. That's perspective. Along with the prayer, David's prayer, the key to keeping our hearts wholehearted to God, it's, it's perspective. I've said this before, but I think it's so true. Worship, at its core, is seeing God for who he is. It's seeing ourselves for who we are. It's seeing and understanding what God has done and will do and wants to do for us. And then responding, whatever is appropriate, confession, um, love, humility, obedience, sacrifice. Let me repeat that. Worship, at its core, is seeing God for who he is, seeing ourselves for who we are, Understand what God has done and wants to do for us and will do for us, and then responding. And David hits upon these themes. Verse 14. Everything comes from you, and we have given you only what comes from your hand. That's perspective. Verse 15. We are aliens and strangers in your sight, as were all our forefathers. Our days on earth are like a shadow without hope. O Lord our God, as for all this abundance that we have provided for building you a temple for your holy name, it comes from your hand and all that belongs to you. Perspective. Now David called the Israelites aliens, people without a home, people who in, living in a land that don't belong there. And in a sense, we are still aliens as God's people. We live in a world that is not our own. It belongs to God. But the good news is that through faith in Christ, we are now children of God. And that's the reason to have great joy when we come to worship. Tertullian, an early church father, wrote, Sunday, we give ourselves to joy. 
That's what worship is about. It's understanding who we are, who God is, what he's done for us, and then responding in obedience, humility, love, sacrifice, and joy. Pastor and author Mark Buchanan um, wrote about a woman in his church who was an alcoholic named Wanda. She had given her life to Christ, um, and she did well for about eight weeks. She got into Alpha, she got into a 12-step group, and then, and then she didn't do so well. She was in and out of rehab, mostly out of rehab, and then she vanished. And then one day she called about a year afterwards and said she'd been in rehab in Vancouver, and she was getting out the next week, and she, could she come back? And her first Sunday back, Buchanan writes, he didn't recognize her. She looked healthy. She was dressed in her right mind. He was preaching on the ten lepers that Jesus healed and the one, the Samaritan, who comes back to give thanks. And he said that anyone who's been cleansed by Jesus, who wants to be made whole by him, worships at his feet in deep thankfulness and utmost desperation because they have nowhere else they want to go or can go. And then to close, Buchanan reminded people that they had a tradition at their church that anybody could come forward to the front and pray with one of their prayer ministers. And Wanda came forward. But she didn't go to the prayer minister. She walked onto the platform and stood between the guitarist and the drummer, and she stretched her hands heavenward, and she worshipped like one leper returning home. A woman who didn't know her and who wasn't on the prayer team walked up to her, put her arm around her, and worshipped too. And then Buchanan writes, and then you could hear it. All of us worshipped with deeper thankfulness out of greater desperation. Now, as we start this year, we'll have lots of resolutions to exercise, lose weight, eat better, save more money for retirement, save for a special trip, do better at work, get a job promotion, improve our marriages, improve our relationships with our kids, all good things. But I want to encourage you, because I think this is the heart of what it means to really connect with God and to, and to go deeper in a relationship and to go further on our mission for him. Two resolutions. One, set a goal to grow in your prayer life. Set a goal to grow in your prayer life. And simply, it means to have a running conversation with God throughout the day. Whether you're walking your dog, you're in the shower, before a meal, before you go to bed, when you're driving to a meeting, before a meeting, just have a running conversation with God, like you would with your best friend. Find some scripture and pray through it. And again, be yourself and be honest. Don't say necessarily what you think God wants you to say. Just to say what's on your heart. Be honest with him. Express yourself. Ask him for guidance and wisdom or forgiveness or, or help or whatever you might be needing. Number two, set a goal to grow in your worship and set a goal to be praying for the worship of the church. Find time to worship God throughout the whole week, not just on Sunday. Give of your time and your resources and your presence to others. That's an act of worship. And pray for your experience of worship, that you would grow in that, and pray for the church's worship. So true worship is what? It's seeing God for who he is. It's seeing yourselves for who you are. Is understanding what God has done for you and will do for you and wants to do for you, and then it's responding. That's at the heart of worship. 
And that's what helps us to stay connected to Jesus Christ, the vine. Let's pray. Father, we're grateful for your love for us. And we thank you that we are constantly in your presence. Lord, that you are always with us. That you surround us, you're above us, below us, to the side of us. And through your spirit, you're within us. Father, we pray that we would grow this coming year in our prayer life, that we would just have an ongoing conversation with you. Lord, that we would that we would just talk with you, that we would express our thoughts to you, our worries, our concerns, our joys, our questions, that we just bring those things to you, Lord. And Lord, we pray that we would be people who would grow in what it means to worship you in spirit and truth, that we would be people who who know your word and apply it and people who who come to you and worship you throughout the week. Lord, we want to be people who make a difference in your world. And so, Lord, we come to you and offer ourselves to you in Jesus' powerful and precious name, through whom we pray. Amen.